Вы сражаетесь за Родину, за ее будущее, за то, чтобы никто не забыл. Владимир Путин's big speech, what he said, and equally important, did not say. Would have very damaging effects um, on the economy. The fight over Roe v. Wade also has huge economic implications. I'm Paul Brandis. You're listening to West Wing Reports from Washington. It's Friday, May 13th. It is perhaps the most important holiday in Russia, Victory in Europe Day, when that country remembers the victory over Nazi Germany in World War II. It's seen as a very patriotic day, and this year Vladimir Putin used it to drum up support for his sputtering war on Ukraine. The Kremlin dictator fooled himself into thinking that the invasion would be a cakewalk. Instead, it has been a disaster for him and for Russia. An estimated 15,000 Russian troops are dead, crushing economic sanctions, revitalized NATO. Putin himself has become a pariah in the West, and it's all his fault. So, Putin's Victory Day speech took on added importance this year. Would he double down? Would he somehow declare victory? What would, what could he say? In fact, he chose to do none of these things, opting to blame Ukraine and the West, as always, for this war. But there were no policy changes. The bad news about this, the war now in its third month, grinds on. Where is the war going anyway? The top U.S. intelligence official, Avril Haines, the director of national intelligence, or DNI, warned Congress that Putin's in this for the long run and that his long-term aims continue to extend well beyond Ukraine. Russia's failure to rapidly seize Kyiv and overwhelm Ukrainian forces has deprived Moscow of the quick military victory that it had originally expected would prevent the United States and NATO from being able to provide meaningful military aid to Ukraine. And the Russians met with more resistance from Ukraine than they expected, and their own military's performance revealed a number of significant internal challenges, forcing them to adjust their initial military objectives, fall back from Kyiv, and focus on the Donbass. The next month or two of fighting will be significant as the Russians attempt to reinvigorate their efforts. But even if they are successful, we are not confident that the fight in the Donbass will effectively end the war. We assess President Putin is preparing for a prolonged conflict in Ukraine during which he still intends to achieve goals beyond the Donbass. We assess that Putin's strategic goals have probably not changed, suggesting he regards the decision in late March to refocus Russian forces on the Donbass as only a temporary shift to regain the initiative after the Russian military's failure to capture Kyiv. His current near-term military objectives are to capture the two oblasts in Donetsk and Luhansk with a buffer zone, encircle Ukrainian forces from the north and the south to the west of the Donbass, in order to crush the most capable and well-equipped Ukrainian forces who are fighting to hold the line in the east, consolidate control of the land bridge Russia has established from Crimea to the Donbass, occupy Kherson, and control the water source for Crimea, that is to the north. And we also see indications that the Russian military wants to extend the land bridge to Transnistria. And while the Russian forces may be capable of achieving most of these near-term goals in the coming months, 
We believe that they will not be able to extend control over a land bridge that stretches to Transnistria and includes Odessa without launching some form of mobilization. And it is increasingly unlikely that they will be able to establish control over both oblasts and the buffer zone they desire in the coming weeks. But Putin most likely also judges that Russia has a greater ability and willingness to endure challenges than his adversaries, and he is probably counting on U.S. and EU resolve to weaken as food shortages, inflation, energy prices get worse. That last part is a key challenge. Putin thinks America and the West are weak and will get tired as food and energy prices continue to rise. He thinks our attention span, our patience, and resolve will eventually weaken and benefit him. A sobering analysis from the DNI, and yet this week we saw some important new developments. Congress passed another big aid bill for Ukraine, $40 billion for weapons, food, medicine, and other help. It was a hugely bipartisan vote, 368 to 57, with all 57 no votes coming from the so-called Putin coalition of Republicans. The Senate is expected to follow suit, though there too are Republicans who will likely vote no, in other words, vote to help the Russians. We also saw Finland, which shares a long border with Russia, announce that it will apply for NATO membership. Sweden is expected to follow. These two countries in NATO, newly determined to resist Russian aggression, is the last thing Putin wants. A news story gets shared by a friend on social media, or you catch a tweet that really makes your blood boil. But how do you separate fact from fiction? That's the premise behind Disinformation, a 10-part series from Evergreen Podcasts and Emergent Risk International coming this fall. Tune in to Disinformation wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, don't believe everything you read. home, the fight over abortion rolls on. As you know, a leak at the Supreme Court last week indicated that Roe v. Wade would probably be overturned. That has set off a firestorm among the majority of Americans who believe that a woman and no one else has the right to make her own decisions about her body and that government bureaucrats and ideologues should just butt out. There have been protests outside the homes of several conservative justices. Some Republicans are outraged at this display of free speech. Some are the same folks who had no problem with the violent attack on the Capitol a year ago, but now say peaceful protests are beyond the pale. Meanwhile, there are broader issues in play here, too, and one concerns what the impact on women and the economy would be if Roe v. Wade were to be overturned. One woman has particular insight into this, Janet Yellen, who of course is Secretary of the Treasury. She spoke on Capitol Hill. Well, I believe that eliminating the right of women to make decisions about when and whether to have children would have very damaging effects um, on the economy and would set women back decades. Roe v. Wade and access to reproductive health care, including abortion, 
helped lead to increased labor force participation. It enabled uh, many women to finish school. That increased their earning potential. It allowed women to plan and balance their families and careers. And research also shows that it had a favorable impact on the well-being and earnings um, of, of children. Um, there are many research studies that have been done um, over the years looking at the economic impacts of access or lack thereof to abortion. And it makes clear that denying women access to abortion increase their odds of living in poverty or need for public assistance. There has been very little focus on this, the long-term negative impact on women, on poverty, the labor market, and more. It's not the job of the Supreme Court to weigh these things. The justices focus on the law and their interpretation of it. But Yellen's testimony and the long list of data and studies she refers to underscores the huge stakes involved that will play out for years, decades, in fact, to come. The Supreme Court is expected to make its announcement one way or another next month. A look at other headlines this week. The U.S. death toll from the pandemic has now crossed the one million mark. Is the worst over? Many states and businesses are rolling back mask mandates, hopeful that the worst is indeed behind us. And with two-thirds of Americans now fully vaccinated, it very well could be behind us. And yet the government predicts an onslaught of new cases this fall and winter, upwards of 100 million new cases. Back in February, a manufacturer of infant formula, Abbott Nutrition, recalled several lots of their formula, saying they were linked to infections in infants. It blamed the defective formula on a plant in Michigan and said new formula would be back on store shelves within two months. It hasn't worked out that way. In fact, there's now a severe shortage of formula nationwide. And like most things, this has become a political issue. The Biden administration is under fire, and Thursday the president spoke with executives of key manufacturers and retailers. The White House this week has been unable to say when shortages of formula will ease. And gun deaths hitting a new record, according to the latest federal data, the Centers for Disease Control, saying that in the year 2020, the first year of the pandemic, gun-related homicides soared 35%. Overall, the CDC says more than 45,000 Americans died in gun-related incidents as the pandemic spread across the country, the highest number ever. Half of those were suicides. Now, on a brighter note, let's hear about another Evergreen podcast that I know you'll enjoy. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Burn the Boats from Evergreen Podcasts. I interview political leaders and influencers, folks like award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien and conservative columnist Bill Kristol about the choices they confront when failure is not an option. I won't agree with everyone I talk to. 
but I respect anyone who believes in something enough to risk everything for it. Because history belongs to those willing to burn the boats. Episodes are out every other week wherever you get your podcasts. Time now to open up the West Wing Report's archives and see what made history this week in the past. 1804, Lewis and Clark began their expedition of the new Louisiana Territory. The territory, bought from Napoleon by Thomas Jefferson, doubled the size of the United States. 1846, the Mexican-American War began. When it was over, the U.S. gained more than half a million miles of new territory, stretching all the way to California. The United States became a true continental power. The war also boosted the careers of six future presidents, including an obscure one-term congressman from Illinois named Abraham Lincoln, who was a fierce critic of the war. And 1948, in the wake of World War II, Berlin was half free and half communist. The Soviet Union blocked supplies from reaching democratic West Berlin, but on the orders of Harry Truman, a massive Allied airlift to supply West Berlin with food, medicine, coal, clothes, and more began. By May 1949, the Soviets gave in. The Berlin airlift was a demonstration of Allied determination to resist the dictator in the Kremlin. Perhaps history today is repeating itself. Want more history? Check out my books on Amazon. I'll sign them for you, too. Just shoot me an email, pbrandis at evergreenpodcasts.com. And need a speaker for your event? I do that, too. Current events, economics, analysis, history. I connect the dots, and I would love to hear from you. Speaking of books, I'll send you one if you download my new app. It's called West Wing Reports, available in the Apple and Android stores. All you do is download it on your phone or tablet. There's a button called What's on Your Mind. All you do is push, talk, and send. That's it. Leave a comment and your name goes into a drawing for any of my books, your choice. I'd like to end each week with a quote, something you might find thoughtful. This week it's from James Polk. He said, quote, the presidency is no bed of roses, unquote. I'll bet every president has surely thought that at one time or another. Well, that's all for this week. My email again, pbrandis at evergreenpodcasts.com. West Wing Report is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to C-SPAN for the audio clips. Our producer, sound designer, and engineer, Noah Fouts. Executive producers, Michael DeLoya and Gerardo Orlando. I'm Paul Brandis in Washington. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time. Welcome to Anthology of Heroes, the podcast that explores the most pivotal moments of history through the eyes of those who lived it. In this podcast, we don't spend our time recounting facts and dates. Instead, we follow in the footsteps of national heroes, kings, or ordinary people who lived and breathed the moments that shaped our world. We're not hemmed in by eras, borders, or religions. Instead, we seek out the tales of those who defied the odds and fought passionately for their beliefs. Whether they're right or wrong is up to you to decide. From Vercingetorix's doomed rebellion against Rome to Osceola's unshakable war against the USA, 
all the way up to the inspiring Sobibor concentration camp uprising in World War II. Each episode is an immersive listening experience, blending music and sound effects to really draw you into the story. Our episodes go for about 45 minutes, making them perfect for your commute, and are crafted using a wealth of historical sources, which I list on our website if you want to learn more. I'm the host, Elliot Gates, and I'm thrilled to have you joining me as we uncover history's hidden gems and illuminate the faded pages of our past. Look out for the Anthology of Heroes podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from.